Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, we are together for our Friday afternoon Erev Shabbat uh, Torah class with Rabbi Akiva Zweig, uh, Rosh Yeshiva at the Talmudic University of Florida. Uh, today, the rabbi will be discussing Parshas Kisovo with the following topics, Elul Mindsets and Evolution, as well as it's not about reward and punishment. We are very intriguing ahead of the holiday. The month of Alul is sponsored by Nat and Eddie Perez and family for the success of their children, Ilui Nishmas, in loving memory of uh, David Ben Masoda, David Buton, the beloved father and grandfather. Uh, the family remembers his dedication and great qualities, Midos, and he is dearly missed on his third yard site. This week is anonymously sponsored in Hakora Satov in acknowledgement and, and recognition uh, to Rabbi Akiva Zweig and all of the Zweig families for their teaching and sharing Torah. May our learning be a merit for our children and grandchildren and find Shiduchim, proper uh, mates and relationships with clarity and speedily and abundant Shalom bias, peace in our homes and a Rafur Shalema, a complete healing for all in need. A recording of this year will be posted afterwards for those who want to review it, and especially to give us an opportunity to share the class with people that we care about and who we think can would want to improve their lives through learning. Uh, without any further delay, Rabbi Akiva Zweig and Parshas Kisaro. Good afternoon, everyone. Good Merav Shabbos. So wonderful to be with all of you. I hope that uh, everybody's ready for an Elul discussion. And Rosh Hashanah is also obviously around the corner. So I think in advance of that, it makes sense to pay special attention to that. So we'll begin with some famous Ramazim, which is a Hebrew word for hint or indicator of Elul. Uh, there are many of them. Uh, I want to talk about a specific three ask a few questions on those three, then move to the parsha, ask a couple of kind of general questions on the parsha, maybe a little bit specific, and then go into our answer. As Aaron Yehuda mentioned, we are gonna talk about mindsets of, ev of evolution related to Elul, as well as the concept of, it's not about reward and punishment. So one of the well-known hints to the month of Elul perhaps the most well-known, is Ani Lidodi Vidodi Li. I am to my beloved, and my beloved is to me. That phrase is found in the book of the Megillah of Song of Songs, and it describes a relationship of love, which most of that Megillah does do, a love relationship between Hashem and the Jewish people. Now, if we think of that as a beginning mindset for the month of Elul kind of feels like maybe the game is rigged, right? So if a judge, for example, was judging his spouse or her spouse, as the case may be nowadays, one would assume that, uh, that you know, we know what's going to happen. So it's an interesting perspective to have for the month of Elul that we're approaching this month with the idea in mind that Hashem is our beloved and we are beloved to Hashem, that doesn't really seem to fall in the general mindset 
of the day of judgment is coming upon us. So how do we really correlate that mindset as a proper preparation for the day of judgment and what we also refer to as the beginning of the days of awe? Here we are talking about love, romance. Hopefully we're not in that kind of trepidation or awe in our love and romantic relationships in our life. Hopefully that's not the case. I'm not saying it is not necessarily the case, but hopefully it's not the case. So how do we then understand Elul from that perspective as a proper preparation for Rosh Hashanah? Another hint for the month of Elul, which is actually coming up in next week's parsha, next week being a double parsha of Nitzavim and Vayelach, this week we are in Kisavo. We have a sentence which says, Hashem will circumcise, Hashem your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your children. So the four words, es levavacha, the es levav, your heart and the heart of, is an acronym for the month of Elul, Aleph Lamed, Vav Lamed. And over here, the subject matter makes a lot of sense. We're talking about the circumcision of a heart, which obviously allegorically is meant to refer to matters of spirituality, matters of repentance, which the Torah actually does speak specifically about repentance in those sentences in Parshas Nitzavim. So from the mindset point of view that the subject matter relates to self-improvement, a circumcising of the heart, we look at a cutting away of that which is bad or negative or evil from us. Okay, good. Now at least we're in the ballpark. The problem is, who's supposed to do the cutting away of the evil? This is a question that was asked me many years ago by Dr. Jackie Tangier. I always uh, love this subject and I love saying it over in his name. Why does the Torah in this phrase say God is going to circumcise your heart and the hearts of your children, talking about what God is going to do to remove evil, if the hint is for the month of Elul, which Balaturim says to the sentence also, that this refers to the 30 days that we wake up early in the month of Elul in order to ask for forgiveness, supplications of, of beseeching God, which the Svartic custom is to do for 30 days in the, or you know, prior to Rosh Hashanah. So if that's true, that burden should be on us. But yet the sentence is saying what God is going to do. So here again, we can ask, so is the right mindset for the, mind, for the month of Elul, hey, God, listen, just take care of us. Make us better people. We're good to go. That's what the sentence is saying. So much so, by the way, that that's what the sentence indicates, that... Ramban, Nachmanides, to this sentence says that this is actually referring to the Messianic era, that in the time of the Mashiach, there will be a gradual reduction and ultimate removal of the evil inclination. And therefore, according to Nachmanides, this sentence is really predicting the spiritual freedom that will come at the time of the Mashiach with God gradually removing the evil. Now, Ramban takes it to a tremendous extent. He even says that those animals, which are naturally animals of prey, meaning that they kill other animals, 
even that evil will be removed, referencing a sentence in, in Parshas Bechukosai, which says, that God will remove the wild, evil animal, doesn't mean that the animal will become extinct. It means that the evil nature of the animal will become extinct, which of course we have sentences in Yeshaya and many other places that children will be able to play with vipers and the sheep will lie down with the lion. All of that refers to the messianic era. So very clearly we see that the simple way to understand this sentence is that it's referring to what God is going to do in the ultimate future. Great. So then why can it possibly serve as a meaningful hint for our month of Elul, our time to prepare for the day of judgment. Everybody hear that question? I think, am I, am I being clear? Did I say it clear enough? Okay, great. Then the third question related to the month of Elul and a third hint from the um, Megillah, this, in this case is Megillah's Esther, is ish lirei ehu umatanos la'evyonim. So towards the end of the Megillah, in celebration of the Purim miracle, there was established the Purim holiday that we've come to know and love. And one of the uh, sentences which describes that day of Purim says that th these are days that are meant to be umishloach manos, the sending of portions or gifts, ish lirei ehu, each man to his friend, umatanos la'evyonim, and gifts to the poor. Ish is an aleph, the re'ehu is a lamed, umatanos is above, la'ev yonim is a lamed, that's the month of Elul, so the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch brings. Here we see a special indicator to give charity in the month of Elul, more than the usual, because charity is definitely a good way to prepare for judgment. As we pray on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur itself, we say very clearly that teshuva, tefillah, and siddakah they remove the evil decree. The repentance, the uh, prayer, and the charity removes the evil decree. Okay, so that's nice. Over here we have a subject matter that relates, and we can even say, you know what, it makes sense to talk about charity because that's a way to prepare for judgment. That's all good. But there are two words at the beginning of that phrase which says, ish lirei a man to his friend. So if part of the hint is a man to his friend, what does that have to do with the month of Elul? How do we correlate that? What do we even mean by that? It just seems to be a non sequitur because it's just saying a man to his friend. Now in the sentence, it's saying we give gifts or portions to our friends and we know that as Shalach Manus, Umishloach Manus. That's not what we do in the month of Elul, although I'm not stopping anyone, you know. If anybody wants to start giving baskets and things to their friends, go for it. But that is not one of our normal customs. It is normal in the month of Elul to give gifts. Great. So if it would somehow be all about charity, like the sentence says, umatanos la'evyonim, and gifts to the poor, that would make sense. But what, what are we going to do with the first words? You know, just because we need the full, you know, four words because we need four letters so that let's schlep in the other two words but really it doesn't correlate to the month of Elul. So how do we really explain that it's a good full indicator for the month of Elul if we don't really know how the first two words ish ehu applies in terms of what our mindset is supposed to be for the month of Elul. So I'll ask again was I clear enough in the question? Did I do I need to explain further or okay? We're good? Okay, excellent. 
So I now would like to go back to our parasha. There's more even to discuss on all of these three uh, hints, but let's now go to our parasha. One of the main features of our parasha is what we call the tochacha. Now that's easy because it's easy to remember the negative. The tochacha means the rebuke, and there are many sentences which talk about the destruction that will befall the Jewish people if they don't listen to the voice of Hashem. When I say many sentences, I mean close to 70, which is quite the number. And the opening sentences, the opening sentence for the curses is chapter 28, uh, sentence 15. Actually, I guess I should revise that to 55. But anyways, the sentence says, and it will be if you do not listen in the voice of Hashem, your God, to guard and to do all of his commandments and his statutes that I'm statutes that I am commanding you today, then all of these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And then the Torah lists a ton of things. Okay. So in great detail, the Torah outlines the punishments. Just prior to that, the Torah says, by the way, if you listen to the voice of Hashem, your God, most people, you know, don't call it the parsha of the brachos and the kolos, but the brachos are here too. It says, if you listen to the voice of Hashem, your God, to guard, to do all of his commandments I'm commanding you today, God will place you above all the nations of the earth and they will come upon you all of these blessings and they will overtake you when you listen in the voice of Hashem, your God. And the Torah lists about, you know, 11, 12 sentences further uh, describing the blessings. Okay. Now, seemingly, that's Moshe Rabbeinu speaking on behalf of Hashem as the true prophet of Hashem, telling us what will happen positively and, and negatively, blessing or curse based on our performance, correct? Great. So what's the deal with the prior, let's call it 20 sentences in the Torah, where the Jewish people perform a ritual on Mount Gerizim and Mount Abel, where six tribes go up on one mountain, six tribes go up on the other mountain, the tribe of Levi is in the middle, and they say, blessed is the person who does this. Cursed is the person who does that. And there are a listing of 11 or 12. There's 11 specific and one general. So however you want to count it, 11 or 12. God is very capable himself of bestowing the blessings and the curses without our participation in blessed is the person who does this, cursed is the person who does that. What's this whole idea that we have the Jewish people gathering in this once in a in a in a uh, existence event that they need to stand on these two mountains, pronounce these blessings and curses, when God Himself, through His prophet Moshe Rabbeinu, says very clearly, "If you listen to the voice of Hashem your God, here are the blessings," da, 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 da. and if you don't, here are the curses. Da, 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 da. Okay, so what is being added, and why is it important? For the Jewish people to have a ritual where the people themselves are blessing and cursing and ratifying the blessings and the cursings of the Torah. Not to mention which ones specifically are chosen. And, you know, that's a, that's another whole subject that's beyond the scope of our discussion today. So really the partial questions that we're asking from an overview perspective are, if God himself was blessing and cursing the people for the various things that are contained in the Torah, then what is the need to have the Jewish people on their own pronounce these blessings or curses and ratify them, right? That's the overview question. In addition to that, we're pointing out that this is a once 
in a Jewish existence ritual. In other words, we don't seem to find ever again in our history that we're going to perform this ritual of six tribes on this mountain of Gerizim and six tribes on this mountain of Avel. I think I mentioned last year, by the way, that there was an article found in, in there's an article in that was published, in, I forget where, um, that one of the the earliest writing that they've ever found came from Mount Avel, which talked about cursing. It was quite fascinating, a, a, a lead tablet about two centimeters by two centimeters. And this was like the first authentication of the Hebrew language at such an early time. But anyways, uh, based on the Torah, it makes a lot of sense that that would be a place where the subject of cursing and God was discussed. Okay. So putting all of this together, I would like to begin with the following concept. The difference between a blessing and a curse and a reward and a punishment obviously needs to be discussed, right? Uh, what's the difference between baruch and reward, which we would call sachar, blessing and reward, and kalala, which means curse, and onesh, which means punishment. Now, my father has many fascinating shiurim on this, and hopefully at some point, uh, some of that will be published or people can listen to the archives. I'm going to go with not specifically what he said, but maybe it incorporates some of it. So right off the bat, I think it's important to recognize that bracha means that there's a natural force of positivity and increase, not dependent per se on a decision to give. And klala means that there's a natural force of emptiness black hole-like, if you will, void, a, a decay that's automatically happening, also not dependent on a bestowing or a decision. It's just happening. So that's one thing I think we have to express right off the bat, that punishment and reward is dispensed by a being. Uh, typically, in this case, we're thinking about God, whereas blessing and curse is almost like a force of nature physics, spiritual nature, spiritual physics of creation, as opposed to God has this, you know, treasure house of reward, and he has this other house of punishment, uh, and then he releases uh, and gives or, you know, bestows from one or the other. That's number one. But the second thing that I think is very important is that blessing really talks, because it talks about what is natural or you know, part of, you know, the the uh, laws of physics, again, spiritual physics or even physical physics, either way, it's also a way of describing the experience of the performer. That means to say that blessing attaches to not only a consequence of an action and what a person receives in response, but the way a person automatically feels, not because of a consequence, but because it is a matter of something that is blessed. So there's an automatic elevation. There's an automatic sense of being connected to this infinite goodness that we're understanding the laws of physical blessing to be about. That's why the three letters of the word bracha represent increase. The base is numerically two and the ratio is 200 and the chaf is 20. Each one of those letters are double numerically than the letter right before it in the alphabet. So the idea is that it's not only a reward that a person is getting, but it describes the experience of what a person becomes. 
And I think what the parsha is telling us is that unless the Jewish people are approaching the land of Israel and entering the land of Israel, and bear in mind that this process of Har Gizim and Har Eval took place before the conquest of Jericho. So before the Jewish people attempted <coughs> the first conquering, the first inheriting of the land, they needed to perform this ritual at Mount Gerizim and Mount Abel. So I'm saying, why is that? Because unless the Jewish people understand collectively as a nation that they buy into what it is that Hashem is telling them is good and will bring reward and punishment, that they themselves are making themselves part of the team, so to speak, of Hashem, that they're promoting that which is truly blessed and they're condemning that which is truly cursed, if the Jewish people don't do that, they cannot enter the land of Israel properly. Because the truth is, it is not about reward and punishment. It's about doing what is true and good and makes sense, and that is elevating, and that is blessing, and avoiding and condemning and staying far away from that which is decaying, corrupting, destructive, and brings negativity in creation, and that is the curse. So we need the Jewish people themselves to vociferously declare with those curses and with the words amen, every time a blessing is said or every time a curse is said, we need the Jewish people to state very clearly that they are on board with the fact that this is a blessed existence. We don't perform everything that the Torah says because we get rewarded or avoid everything which the Torah says not to do because otherwise we'll get punished. We do it because it's a blessed way to live. We avoid it because that's where curse is. That's where decay is. That's where destruction lies. And the people need themselves to buy into that by declaring that they themselves want to bless the right actions. They themselves want to condemn and destroy the bad actions. So this idea that there's a layer that is beneath the reward and punishment that is the real foundation of all the mitzvahs of the Torah, I think is essential to the land of Israel because that's where the real relationship with Hashem is being created. And that takes us back to what is a real relationship with Hashem. It really is about love. Hashem promotes all these things for us because he loves us. Hashem wants us to be blessed because he loves us. And because we love Hashem, it's not only that Hashem, we want to do it for Hashem, but it means that we also know that by doing these blessed things, we will have a more close and connected relationship to him, right? To think of it very simply, in general, we have relationships with people where we feel bonded with their values, with their outlook, with what's meaningful to them in life, right? So part of the fact that we promote that which is blessed is not only because it's good for us and it makes us feel good, but it's also a mechanism of being connected to Hashem. And this does, you know, uh, you know, really highlight so much of what my father has thought for many, many years about how Rosh Hashanah is not supposed to be a day of trepidation, even though, yes, we have to know uh, to take it seriously. It's not supposed to be a day where we're crying and beating ourselves up. 
because we do have to have a confidence about, you know, Hashem and his care for us, but it's also about what we really, we're supposed to be having in mind the main thing, which is that we're doing all these things because not only it's good for us, but it's also a way to relate to him, which is also good for us. And we love him and he loves us. So that's why Anila Dodi Vidodi Li is actually a very appropriate message for Elam. What I'm saying is we understand from the concept of blessing and curses. We understand from the fact that the Torah mandates that that's the only way we can begin to enter, conquer, and inhabit Eretz Yisrael is to really be on board with Hashem's perspective on blessing and curse that tells us so much about what the relationship with Hashem is about. This, of course, is very, very, very different than Lahavdil, many other religions and their depictions of uh, the idea of doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing, where so much of it is about purgatory and so much of it is about, you know, being inhibited by fear and making sure that we, uh, you know, are trepidatious. All of that is not at all what the Torah wants. So then we go to the second element of Elul. And it says, God will circumcise your heart and all of the hearts of all your children. Now, there's much more to be said on this subject. I'm not going to do it full justice right now. It's a great uh, entry point for Elul and so much of repentance. But essentially, the idea is as follows. The real question we have to ask ourselves when we are confronted with the many feelings and temptations that we have in life is what is our true desire? I want to eat this cheesecake and I want to eat this unhealthy thing and I want to eat that unhealthy thing. Okay, yes, that's a desire, but is that really our most critical, essential desire? Does that really reflect what's most important and who we are? Is that going to help us live long, which hopefully most of us want to do in order to do good things? Or is that going to inhibit our ability to live long? That's what we really need to ask ourselves. And so therefore, I suggest that when it says, es es the real hint to the month of Elul is not at all about God doing anything. It's about us knowing our heart. If we can understand our true essence, if we can be in touch with our true heart, yeah, then God will remove all the negative things that we've done to attach negative things to ourselves. We've gotten used to too much sugar. You've gotten used to too much fat. You've gotten used to giving in to negative temptations that are unhealthy in many areas of our life, speaking Lashon Hara or being lazy when it comes to doing acts of kindness or service to God. All of those things are things that we've attached as a foreskin to our heart. If we in the month of Elul will really look deeply and examine what is our true motivation, what do we really want, how do we hopefully build on that, then God will cut it away. That's an amazing gift. God will remove what we sometimes think is, well, I need to do that. I need to eat that. I need to act that way because it's too hard for me to fight it. But if we are willing in Elul to work on understanding that those things that we think we need, we don't really need. And what we really need are those things that are healthy for us, like good nutritious food and exercise, etc., then God will make it possible by cutting away our attachment to those negative habits, to those negative things that we've come to think that we need and make it easier for us 
in the long-term future as well, which is, of course, what will happen in the time of Mashiach to the ultimate degree, as Nachmanides says. But the point is that, again, here, we need to understand that the essence of a human being is at stake. And instead of thinking about a relationship with Hashem like some sort of a, you know, a transactional uh, reward and punishment situation where either we're going to suffer or we're going to have pleasure, we need to think of our relationship with Hashem as something much more profound and relating to our beingness and essence, not in terms of our external experience. And here too, if we can understand that what God really created in the human being was a desire for the infinite, a desire to be connected to him, then also we can recognize that all those things that really do detract from that, whether it's physical temptations or you know, characteristic that qualities that are negative, like egocentricity and others that are negative, then we can really latch on to a real relationship with Hashem. And finally, when it comes to umatanos la'evyonim, gifts to the poor, so we have two minutes, I'll do a little recap and then we're done. When it comes to and gifts to the poor, what the sentence, the, the four letter phrase, four word phrase is indicating is that it's not really about giving gifts to the poor. It's about being there for your friend. One of the things we do to be there for our friends is to give them gifts in time of need. That's sure, for sure, that's a great thing. But if we just are doing the gifts to the poor to check a box, oh, well, you know, if I, if I give gifts to the poor, then God's not going to zap me on Rosh Hashanah. That's not going to work. It's about being a real, genuine, empathic, caring person, which begins with ish lirei ehu, each man for his friend. Now, of course, there are many ways to be there for a friend. It's to offer encouraging words, to give them time, advice, caring, empathy, and whatever can also be done uh, physically, whether it's money or something else. All of that is about being there for your friend. And that's why the hint for the month of Elul is very appropriate, because otherwise we would think Without the emphasis of Ish Lerei Ehu, we might actually think that the idea is give gifts to the poor. And so therefore, if we put together these three hints, a very interesting thing happens. We recognize that one is about our relationship with Hashem, recognizing the caring and love Hashem has for us and us for Him. One is about understanding our true essence and selves, which is a relationship man has with himself. And one is about our relationship with our fellow man. And so therefore, a proper evolutionary mindset for the month of Elul is to bear in mind all three of these facets, which the rabbis tell us are the three essential relationships a person has. One with Hashem, one with themselves, and one with their fellow man. Typically, the Maharal, interestingly enough, explains that our relationship with Hashem, we can quantify with what we call avoda, service, right? Prayer and other acts of service. Our relationship with our fellow man, we can quantify as communus chasadin, acts of loving kindness and charity. And the relationship we have with ourselves can mm -hmm. actually be quantified by Torah. Torah is the thing in the world that teaches us most about who we are. Torah is the thing in the Torah that teaches us most about who we really are. And the more we learn Torah, the greater capacity we have to explore, explain, understand ourselves, and ultimately live as our true selves. And so therefore, I'm suggesting that Parshas Kisavo, being that it's the first time the Jewish people entered the land of Israel, we have to understand 
that the prerequisite of having this ultimate relationship with Hashem that we are privy to with the inheritance of Eretz Yisrael is to focus on the real nature of the relationship with Hashem, which is not one of transaction, but it is one of real beingness and essence as represented by the concepts of blessing and curse. And then we have Elul with these particular hints as a way to focus us on what is genuine and real in our relationship with Hashem, our relationship with ourselves, and our relationship with our fellow man. I think we're up to questions and comments. I know there's some things on the chat, but in the meantime, anybody else, please go. I don't know if anybody wants to raise their hand. No, we're good. Ah, Dr. Finkelstein, the raised hand. Um, well, I, this is really amazing. <laughs> oh, wait, Dr. Patterson found me. <laughs> no, you have seniority in brain, sir, so you, you, you go. <laughs> no, not at all. But Okay, thank you, Dr. Finkelstein. <laughs> I cede the floor. <laughs> no, I, I'm, thank you, thank you. Uh, that was a, an act of love and giving. That, 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 no joke, no joke. Uh, yo, and once again, Rabbi, I'm I'm just overwhelmed by your insight and your wisdom. Um, and this, and I have some thoughts. And giving. <laughs> um, why? Yeah, I, I love the question. Why do the Jewish people have to gather and pronounce blessings and curses? Isn't it enough for God? Um, what's being added? And I think this is the Anila Dodi Dodi Lee. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. The two are bound. Neither can do it alone. God can return, O Israel, and I shall return. Uh, when you are my witnesses, I am God. When you're not my witnesses, it's written in the Sifre, it's as if I weren't God. Without God, there's no Jewish people. And without the Jewish people, it's as if there were no God. So the movement below stirs the movement above. Uh, when we, those of us who approach God empty-handed encounter God as emptiness. Uh, and it's this bond, this, this interrelation, this covenantal relation. Uh, that that goes to understanding bracha and klala as uh, not as reward and punishment. You you couldn't be more correct. We don't. There's no haggling with God. It's not a business transaction. It's it's a consequence uh, without which there is no meaning. If there are no consequences, if there's no reckoning, no accounting. No, if there's no judgment, there's no good, no evil, and the greatest horror, no meaning. More horrific than suffering is meaningless suffering. So uh, when God summons us to a reckoning, to accountability, Yom HaMishpat, that's an act of love. That's an act of love. Uh, the, the You know, the, one of the most the moments of horror invoked in the Talmud is is a situation in which we say or we think there is no judge and no judgment, right? That's when Hashem seems to have turned his face away from us. So uh, 
and finally, it's uh, loving our fellow human being, the ahava, with hav in the center meaning giving, tells us giving is more, loving is more than just handing somebody a check or, or, or a gift wrapped, you know, box. As you say, it's about being present. It's about moving into a relation. It's about saying he nani. Uh, and return, shuva, is a, is a movement of return out of isolation and back into a relation. Uh, and if we, if we, that movement has to be ben adam le adam, or it can never be ben adam le makom. So those are my few thoughts. Yeah, not so few. Um, I very much appreciate the, the description of Rosh Hashanah as being an act of love on the part of Hashem. And you know what real love is. That's that's huge. Um, very important to think of because that's definitely something I wasn't getting into. That the judgment itself means that things matter, and that's uh, like the true testament to a real relationship, which leads to you know many more aspects of what what is communicated in a real relationship of love. It's not necessarily only you know all all fun and games, right? Uh, we have to get to the to real things. But anyways, thank you for everything. Uh, Dr. Finkelstein had seated the floor, so I think he takes it back. <laughs> I think the gentleman from Texas. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, really fascinating, Shira. I have to say that that your um, Shirim, in many ways, uh, I, I find I find this to be like one of the most important parts of the week uh, for my week, and that the way that that the Zwag Torah gets me to think about these things is there's I've there, I've never had I've never had a teaching like this wide teachings and they're really powerful and like they're they're very coherent and um they make they I feel like they make it this this really insane kind of rational mincemeat out of the parsha it's like really naked the 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 rationality of the parsha becomes really naked under your under this way of interrogation um, and the pieces really connect in ways that I think are really beautiful you're here it's is someone saying something? I can't. Oh, I don't, oh yeah, oh. it could be the background noise. Hang on one second. Oh, sorry, my bad. Hang on one second. Just oh, no, not your bad. Just do it. Do uh, unmute again. Yeah, go. got it. Got it. Okay, so the uh, the well, some of the things that struck me from what you said this week was that there's this kind of distinction between you know in things that we find intrinsically rewarding and things that that we have that are instrumentally rewarding and we know that this distinction is actually is it is actually distinct in the brain um that when you have things that are instrumental as a reward where it's almost like we've mapped where the consequences are we note that like you know this would be bad this would be good um and and we we create a set of like instrumental relationships based on that um and obviously that's really different from an intrinsic reward and that really a lot of what motivates intrinsic reward is is really our, our own agency like our own sense of kind of like you know what is who am i what is my mission why if i've done something i'm attributing significance to because i'm choosing it right and that says something about who i am that's not just something that that we can relate easily back to you know this is good and that is bad and this will have i'll make money doing this and i won't make money doing that and that 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 those those two frameworks um those two frameworks have a lot of parity in in the frame and what you've described as blessings and curses 
um, versus this, the, what you talked about at the start of this, which was kind of like how we intrinsically visit our own framework for decision-making and how Hashem has promised to sort of step into that framework over time to alleviate, uh, to, to kind of like take away the Yetzirah Hara. I mean, if you think about it, that's the opposite of us stating the blessings and curses. We become instrumental. He's taking over our agency. Hmm. Right? Yeah, that's big. Wow. So why is that? Why is it that you have this kind of inversion? And I think that like the, the, because we're stating the blessings and curses, that's supposed to be the objective blackboard of the universe, giving back these values. We now embody them. As that happens, the thing that aligns our will, our intrinsic value, our intrinsic will, be, it starts stitching Shrina into the universe. It becomes being aligned with Hashem's will. So our internal agency then becomes reflected in more and more God's agency. So now that's being described passively. So we're let, taking... let, let me just interject there, because what you're really dealing with is a question that should bother many people. I, I, I haven't yet found that it bothers so many people, but it really should bother all of us, which is why do we want the Mashiach to come if it means that we stop evolving? Right? And the answer is because Mashiach really comes when we've evolved to the point that we've so evolved that we, as you said, we sort of become the instrument and like intrinsically connected to Hashem. Yeah. Yeah. I, the way I've heard that described is that, you know, this is one of the reasons why the sage described the Olam Papa as, as having a lot of um, nostalgia for Olam Hazah. Because in yeah. Olam Papa, you all, you, everyone realizes they're just a neuron in God's brain. In Olam Hazah, you can still have what feels like a private relationship. So, so the so the result is you'll never have you as much intimacy. That? Can you say that last sentence again? In Olam Haba, everyone realizes they're just a neuron in God's brain, right? In Olam Hazah, it doesn't quite feel that way. So you have a lot more intimacy. the 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 ego is still here, uh -huh. right? Once once we hit Olam Hazah, it's ob I mean, to some extent it will feel like we have fewer choices because are you kidding? What choices are there? The screen is right there. What are you talking about? Choice. Right. Yes. So, so the 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 I think the idea is that this kind of comes to what what said why why what is what are we learning with life and death blessing and curse? This is what we're learning. We're learning that ultimately our lives become aligned with blessings. The the where we're closing the distance between the intrinsic and and the the external. We we've sorted out all the all the difference in good and bad. It's no longer just tovara. No longer it's a tovara. Right now, yes. our lives, purely speaking, are associated blessings, and we've we've separated that out. And what and the curses are all dead, right? And that's become yeah. that's become internalized as a way of life. We bridge the distance between those two things. Yeah, listen, very very advanced, amazing. Thank you. <laughs> and and I'm sure, like everyone else, we're just happy that it's recorded. Oh, and I want to say one more thing. Hey, I want to say one more thing, which is that this this is such an important part of my week that I've decided that every week I want to give a donation to the yeshiva for this because I think it's this is like this is what sustains me personally through everything else that I do. Wow, and so, so I'm going to make I want to make a commitment this Elul to give something every single week that I do this because I think it's so valuable. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you, thank you, and uh, you know. You know how, how much we value your contribution before that. <laughs>
You guys can donate to me. I'll set put my wallet up here. And <laughs> well, thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. Thank All proceeds you. go to the issue. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Uh, we have, thank you very much for everything. Uh, Aaron Yehuda, you want to go? Uh, yes, Yosher uh, Koach, Professor Patterson and, and Joel, and also on, on the commitment in Elul, which is so concrete along with the abstract. Uh, on the, uh, one, one of the things that are very confusing about this portion, I think, I think the discussion raises my, uh, my concern about this, is that our sense of free will, and we have that we have free will sometimes confuses us into misunderstanding that just because we have free will, we also don't have control over the outcome or the intrinsic or essential difference of the choices that we make at a different level. And people tend to get confused by this autonomy and by this power that we have in free will. And sometimes the, the, the Hashem's ultimate control and our desire to stay connected with him through our actions becomes blurred in our own perception and in our own decision making because we have such an illusion uh, of autonomy and being able to do things and being to, able to determine things in this world. Uh, and I think in this partial what we have is not just that we have to remind ourselves, but we also have to remind each other that there are actual consequences to decisions. And just because we can make them and we can make one after the other and we get the sense of power uh, does not mean that we have the ultimate power and control and that we have to be aligned with Hashem uh, in a deeper way. And that is that, that why we have to put it on our levav and uh, levav zarecho is because we always are dealing with this conflict. And, yeah, and so, so, one, so one more I, thing. One, one yeah, of my is that today we are so concerned with telling people positive things and giving people positive reinforcement and encouraging people and, and having kid clubs that sometimes the importance of honest communication and talking people out of trouble tends to go by the wayside. No, that's that's also really important about uh, you know the honest communication. But I just wanted to say about your first point that that is the real answer, even though nobody really likes to hear it or talk about it. The real answer to you know why do bad things happen to good people is we don't know, but we do know that that's not what's important. What's important is that when the person makes the choice, who they develop themselves. So nobody really wants to say we don't know. And then when you talk about the world to come, nobody wants to hear that. But hopefully one thing that we can understand is that when we do make good choices, then we become our real selves, our best selves, proud of ourselves. And that's the kind of the blessing that we were talking about. So that's uh, right on point. Thank you very much, Aaron Yehuda. Is there anybody else? Um, Dr. Harwood made a point. I don't know if anybody else wants anything. Dr. Finkelstein, go ahead. The floor is open to everybody right now. Well, I mean, the, the thing about like, like when we think about why we're seeking information in the world, like a lot of the value that we get from seeking information comes from how much uncertainty the information is going to resolve. And, and that leads to us thinking about our significance. Like we think about significance oftentimes in terms of like how certain our world has become. 
because that's that is like you know that's the difference in hedonism and like agentive thinking is that things might make you feel good they might make you feel bad that doesn't necessarily that's not the same thing as things as things as information really providing us a sense of of true certainty and and that is that's the certainty of that is really aligned with life that the yeah, that's because life is what endures so i think to some extent when we're, when we're learning torah it's like we're we're that's why we become the blessings and the curses we become the objects that's why it's stitched into the rock right is that we're that our, our attention is being drawn to a structure of enduring certainty the information that we get is maximally valuable towards towards creating and the a kind of the ultimate intrinsic reward so what is the ultimate intrinsic reward it's to, it, to some extent it's to it's to sort of um become a foundation <laughs> that's the ultimate intrinsic reward is to become a foundation so that's that's yeah. what our lives become by studying torah that's why we become blessings and curses we, we love how you've gone from becoming kabbalistic to being cloaked Kabbalistic. <laughs> it's not so you're not so revealed anymore with your foundation word. <laughs> you can say you sewed. Well, we're good. <laughs> Excellent. Thank it's, you, Saul. It's, so it's, it's all from the beard. I think it's it, it, uh, uh, the, the new new depth is emanating from the uh, the beard. Oh wow! I don't have to say the, I don't have to say the word you sewed. Now the beard speaks for me. So. <laughs> Uh, um, Daniel Lombardi is asking if, do, if this will, we'll just do this, and then we'll, we'll call it Sega Chavez. Do individuals have the ability to bestow blessing on others or are blessing and curses an objective reality? Typical Jewish answer is yes. Yes, yeah, so certainly from Avraham Avinu, we, we do have the, the, uh, the ability to, you know, increase or give blessings, uh, unfortunately, curses as well. We hope to avoid that. Um, but you know, it is also a natural consequence, and that becomes a very big discussion. Like, when should we employ either one of those, you know, attributes? So now that we know you're looking to become a rebbe, Daniel, we'll work on it. Thank you. All right, it's a very good question. Good job, everyone. This was a that great share. I hope you put it up uh, soon on the chat. Put okay, up the recording. Do our best. Uh, let's all, everybody give a, a, a big round of return welcome to Dr. Rothman. Yes. Welcome. <laughs> welcome back. Welcome back. You were missed. Welcome back.